Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Doubt is the opposite of faith, right? Doesn't having doubt mean you're a bad Christian? Or what if doubt is really a path to faith? Join us for the message, Thomas the Confessor. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Doubt is the opposite of faith, right? Doesn't having doubt mean that you're a bad Christian? Or what if doubt is really a path to faith? Well, stay tuned later for our message, Thomas the Confessor. This morning's scripture is from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. And now listen to the word of God. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. And now from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite pastimes is to go to the theater. And it started with my oldest sister sang and danced in her high school musicals. Her first musical was Oklahoma, followed a year later by West Side Story. And I was only about five or six at the time, but I remember being just enthralled by the spectacle of live theater. And later my brother got very involved in theater and eventually became a professional actor. And so I started going to theater to support my family members but long since then, I have come to appreciate and go to theater for its own sake. 
I was excited then to be able to be in a production myself several years ago. I actually talked about it last week. Talked about being in a theater production after my knee surgery and my physical therapy. But back when I was at first UMC in Denton, our church put on a joint production of Jesus Christ Superstar with one of the local theater companies. And anyone from the church was invited to come be a part of the chorus. So my friends and I all signed up. And it was weeks of rehearsal followed by performances three times a week over three different weekends. It was a lot of work, but it was also so much fun being part of that production. I'd sung in a choir before, but this time, as I mentioned last week, I had to learn dance choreography, and that was a new challenge. Now, not only was the entire experience very enjoyable, it was actually quite educational. Other than school plays that I had done as a child, I had never seen live theater performed from the other side. And there is so much more that is going on behind the scenes. There's this large crew of people that never appear on stage, yet are essential to the production. Backstage, there were large wings on both sides of the stage, and it was populated by stagehands, and there was multiple tables just full of props. And people were operating the lights and the soundboard, and others were in charge of moving the right scenery on and off stage. Being on stage myself really then enhanced my understanding and enjoyment uh, of theater overall. Since being in a show myself, I've been able now to view live theatrical productions with a whole new level of appreciation. I also think live theater is a great metaphor for the human personality. Just as what is happening on the stage is a relatively small part of the entire production, the part of ourselves that we show to the public is only a small part of who we fully are. So many of our thoughts and feelings go unexpressed to others. Much of our thoughts and feelings remain below the level of consciousness even to ourselves. Often, even if we're pulling off a polished performance to the world, behind the scenes of our minds there is chaos and panic and stage fright. Not unlike in The Wizard of Oz, we want to scream, pay no attention to that man or woman behind the curtain. And so much of what we hide is our woundedness. We don't want to show our battle scars. We don't want to show where life has beaten us down. Some of our wounds may have healed over, but others of them are still very raw and fresh. This suffering that is just a part of human existence well, it leaves behind marks. It's true for us, and it was true for Jesus. Even in his resurrected body, the wounds were still visible. He showed them to the disciples when he appeared on, to him on uh, the evening of that very first Easter. And he invited Thomas to touch his wounds when he returned a week later. It always reminds me of that famous verse from Isaiah. He was wounded for our transgressions, and by his wounds we are healed. Like Thomas, we too are invited to see and to touch the wounds of Christ. We then find that Christ's wounds touch our wounds and makes them whole again. 
Our wounds become Christ's wounds and our scars become Christ's scars. And Christ bears then our woundedness along with all of the shame and the embarrassment and the regret and the guilt and the grief and the trauma that goes with it. As the prophet Isaiah also said, surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. All we have to do is to trust that this is true. But sometimes trusting or believing, well, it could be hard. And Thomas had that same problem. And I think poor Thomas gets a bad rap. He's been known throughout history as Doubting Thomas. And John Calvin wrote this about him. The stupidity of Thomas was astonishing and monstrous. He was not only obstinate, but also proud and contemptuous of Christ. Well, I'm sorry, John Calvin, but you could not be more wrong. I admire Thomas. Thomas is my hero and my favorite apostle. And in truth, he didn't have any more doubts than any of the other apostles did. At that tomb, on the first Easter morning, Mary Magdalene thought that the risen Lord was the gardener. And the other apostles didn't believe Mary when she came back and proclaimed that she had seen the Lord. And as soon as Jesus appeared to his disciples on that first evening, he proceeded to show them his hands and his side. And none of that inner circle of Jesus' disciples believed until they had seen for themselves the resurrected Jesus. So really, Thomas was no different in this regard. What makes Thomas different was his tenacity. What we often don't appreciate about Thomas was the fact that even with his doubts, he stayed faithful. He didn't abandon the other disciples. He didn't pack it in and go back to Galilee. He stuck around. He worked through his doubts until he came to a place of faith. Or maybe we should say that because he had faith, he was able to work through his doubts. You know, both the church and the Bible sometimes use the words, the words faith and belief interchangeably, and I think sometimes this can be confusing. But I think it's useful sometimes to differentiate between these two words. Belief has a narrower meaning. It refers to kind of an intellectual assent to particular facts. It means to mentally concur with a statement of position. Now, faith, on the other hand, Faith, on the other hand, refers to a relationship, not an intellectual position. Faith involves not just the mind, but also the heart and the soul and the strength of a person. Faith implies a covenant of faithfulness that does not go away very easily. Mere belief can come and go and wax and wane throughout our lifetimes. Indeed, our beliefs should change as we grow and mature over a lifetime. Faith, however, faith will grow deeper with time. When we have faith, then we're not blown over by our doubts. We take them in stride as a necessary part of the faith journey. True faith is ultimately about trust in God, even when we don't have all the answers. Notice what happens when Jesus first appears to his disciples. The first thing he says to them is, peace be with you. And then he breathes upon them the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes when we doubt, it's not necessarily proof 
that we're looking for, but it is rather peace that we are longing for. The peace of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit provides us with the freedom from anxiety then that allows us to face our doubts and to deal with them in a healthy and a constructive manner. Ultimately, Christ died to take away our sins, not our minds. We have never been called to be blind believers. The fact is that doubt, dealt with openly and honestly, plants the seeds of deeper faith. Just as adversity in our lives can fuel our personal growth and maturity. A relationship of faith provides the peace which diminishes the anxiety that allows us to honestly then face our doubts. So in a way, we can talk about faithful doubt or perhaps about doubting faithfully. One of my hopes for my career as a pastor is that any church I pastor, whether here at Trinity or anywhere else, people will always feel free to ask questions to express doubt, and to not be afraid of where those questions and doubts might lead them. Sometimes when we follow our doubts, we find better answers than we had before. Other times when we follow our doubts, we come to realize that perhaps we weren't asking the right questions to begin with. And still other times when we follow our doubts, what happens is we come to a place of peace about not having all the answers. I think that sometimes the allure of fundamentalism is that it provides answers. Not profound answers, not even particularly correct answers, but at least answers that are perceived as solid, free from all that pesky, discouraging doubt. I have sometimes compared the allure of fundamentalism to that of the siren's call in Greek mythology. In Homer's Odyssey, the sirens would call out to unwitting sailors as they passed by, tempting them to steer toward their island. And if the sailors succumbed to their entreaty, however, they would then crash on the rocks and drown. The hero Odysseus had himself tied to his ship's mast. He wanted to hear the sirens call, but then be prevented from actually sailing toward their island and being destroyed. Likewise, I think there's something very seductive about the allure of having all the right answers. Fundamentalism stands out and sends us a siren's call promising us the right answers, but then we find that it's a promise that it cannot deliver. And what happens is you're actually more likely to crash on the rocks below when those answers cannot withstand scrutiny. Underlying the need for sure answers is often a disturbing lack of faith and trust in God. And I think we see this sometimes in the fundamentalist tendency to, to interpret the Bible literally. It is, I believe, indicative of a deep-down basic insecurity about life and about God's providence. I often think that in the theater of the mind of the fundamentalist is the fear that others are going to see behind the curtain and see the woundedness within. In the end, just as Paul wrote to the Philippians, each of us must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in us, enabling us both to will and to work for his good pleasure.
<clears throat> and I think this is ultimately what Thomas was trying to do. He couldn't just borrow someone else's faith. He had to find faith for himself. I think the most important thing to remember about Thomas was not that he doubted, but that he came back and was faithful until his doubt could be used to sow new faith. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, Thomas, in fact, is not known for his doubt, but for his confession of faith. And being met by the resurrected Jesus, Thomas cries out, My Lord and my God, the one who is known as the doubter, utters one of the most profound confessions found in all of the New Testament. But it's only because he followed his doubts that he came to believe. So that doubting Thomas then becomes Thomas the confessor. So do not fear doubt. Face it honestly. Face it faithfully. Have the courage to confess your doubts. As you know, God already knows what's in your heart and in your mind. God already sees the man or the woman behind the curtain. God can already see all that is going on in the backstage of your mind and in your heart. God does not want us to follow the siren call to the easy answers, but rather to journey that narrow road of faithful doubt. So follow your doubt and do not fear it. Follow your doubt and you will find your faith. Amen. And so now receive this benediction. Go out into the world breathing the Spirit of God into a world that is in need of God's peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Join us again next Sunday as we continue to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.